Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, and on this episode of Jill on Money, we're still celebrating Financial Literacy Month. So we teach math every day in every class every year, from kindergarten through 12th grade. And yet, when we look at the international studies, the U.S. ranks really low among its competitors, other countries, in math. So we don't say, let's stop teaching math. We say, how do we do it better? Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We're presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. April might have been Financial Literacy Month, but we celebrate financial literacy all throughout the year here on the program. Today, we've got a great interview with Nan Morrison. She is the president and chief executive officer of the Council for Economic Education. Nan has great insights on how you may be able to improve both your own financial literacy and also that of your children. So here's our interview with Nan Morrison. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Nan Morrison, welcome to the program. It's so delightful to meet you. I've heard a lot about you from our repeat guest, Beth Kobliner. Well, thanks so much for having me, Jill. And of course, Beth is outstanding. Now, you are the president and chief executive officer of the Council for Economic Education. So maybe you're going to think that this question is kind of a silly question. We say to every guest, we begin the program with your best financial or career decision that you've ever made? I would say my best financial decision has always been to pay myself first. You did it. You did what they said you should do. I did. My father was dogged about this. And in my very first job after graduate school, when I had a lot of loans, car, school, rent to pay, he said, are you putting in the maximum to get the 401k match for your company? And I said, no. And every week he asked me the same question for a year and a half until I was up to that number. I love it. So explain to us what the Council for Economic Education does. So we like to call it CEE because it's easier. Okay. And our mission is to teach K through 12 kids about personal finance and economics so that they can make better decisions for themselves, their families, and their communities. Now, when you think about that mission, um, a lot of people will ask about how is it that we can do a better job of, of maybe getting personal finance into a broader curriculum. And every time I write about that, people will send me this study, which I actually wrote about recently, from the Journal of Human Resources. Here's the, here's the quote that always gets put into my face. You ready? You'll help me answer it. Uh, The Journal of Human Resources in 2015 found, quote, there is little evidence that education intended to improve financial decision making is successful. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) I speak from where I sit. Okay, so, I mean, I feel like everyone leaves off the second sentence, which is, number one, there are a lot of skills-based classes that we teach in schools. You know, I took sewing. I took cooking. I took typing, by the way, which was great actually. I looked up the original study and what they said was that it's it's not so much that it's bad. It's just that traditional personal finance courses may not be the best solution. Here's the quote. Additional mathematics training leads to greater financial market participation, investment income, and better credit management, including fewer foreclosures. They basically say If you want to improve financial decision-making, the key is to enhance the mathematics curricula of the country. Now, 
Now tell me, why is that right, wrong, or sideways? It's sort of yes and yes. <laughs> That's a giant question. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I'm a big believer in math. I was a math major. And uh, yes, I, that data I agree with. So we teach math every day in every class every year from kindergarten through 12th grade. And yet, when we look at the international studies, the U.S. ranks really low among its competitors, other countries, in math. So we don't say, let's stop teaching math. We say, how do we do it better? Right. And how do we do it better? So, well, let me not address math, even though I was a math major, because I haven't done that for a long time. But there is a way to do personal finance better, and that's to teach it all throughout a child's school time life, K through 12. Why? Sort of like math, it's another language. Mm. And we have to start introducing kids young to the language of money. And once we start doing that, it gets a little easier to teach them the concepts. Also, I will say there's a lot of research that says when you teach little kids about these concepts, they retain it. They become more interested. So ideally, you're improving math skills, which is good for a whole variety of reasons. But you're also teaching them about the language of money, the language of finance, and making them comfortable and confident that they can make some good decisions. How can we encourage parents to do this, even if they feel insecure about their own skill set around this area? Well, you hit it right on the head there. People feel really uncomfortable for themselves, and they're also worried that their kids don't like talking about this stuff. And actually, kids find it really engaging, especially the little ones, because they like to be like the adults in the room. So in the past year, we've started this really nifty program called Family Financial Literacy Nights, and it's meant for parents, their kids, the teachers, the principals, and maybe even some volunteers to come together at schools to play some really fun games, usually around math and personal finance, and to start the conversation. And parent after parent has said to me, I never knew my child would be this interested. This was the beginning. All right, so let's plug this. Family Financial Literacy Nights, where can people find out information about this? Well, they can go to our website, councilforeconed.org, get in touch with us. They can also get in touch with their schools, and we can set one up at their school for them. Oh, that's great. And we can do it here in New York City, and we can do it through our network of national affiliates all across the country. Let's get back now to what is it that we need to be teaching in K through 12. What are the skills and the the topics that you want them to be able to master? Not unlike we ask for some mastery in some basic reading and writing and certain science. Well, Jill, we actually believe that personal finance should be treated just like any other subject. So we carry out our mission by providing professional development, actual training to teachers so they feel confident. Mm. And just like in any other subject, we have standards. And those cover the basic topics that you would expect from personal finance. So we think that kids should understand about savings, about investing, about insurance and risk, because certain investments are riskier than others. We believe that they need to understand about taxes and their paycheck. So so all of the kinds of things that you would guess, it's really not that complicated. One of the most important things that we want our students to understand is the concept of compound interest. I think that that is huge. I I would say that compound interest and time value of money, just a basic level of statistics, like just even understanding what probability means. If we could get that, I would be so excited. We talk about that we need to really have these conversations with our kids. When is the good time to do this? I had heard 
anywhere as young as age three, we can start talking about rudimentary money concepts. Is that true? You can start talking to your kids about anything when they're little. In terms of money, every time you have a transaction, it's an opportunity. Somebody told me they were buying a refrigerator and they took their kids with them because the little boy had been hanging off the refrigerator handle and breaking it, and the parents wanted him to understand just how expensive a refrigerator was. Uh, When I was little, my parents took me to the car dealership. I was about five years old, and I watched my dad counting out the $100 bills to buy the car in cash. What? And Was your father a mobster? No, he wasn't a mobster, but they (laughs) never bought anything on credit. Wow. Ever, ever, ever. Um, Here's from the uh, website, Consumer finance.gov and this is the money as you grow website there are a lot of things that are valuable some of them cost money and then ask your child to identify different coins and their value so that's one thing point out things that cost money ice cream gas for the car clothing and essentially when you're out shopping you can point out essentials like you can talk about here are things that we need and here are things that we want How about the idea that there are certain things that you point out that are free, what that means? In other words, playing with a friend doesn't cost money, but it's valuable. So how do you distinguish that? I like to talk to kids about setting goals Mm -hmm. because that's what really helped me. My family talked about what our goals were and what trade-offs we needed to make to get there. And I think that puts the whole discussion about money in the context of what you want to do with your life. Um, and that's not just career, but it's the, the way that you want to live and spend your time every day. I think it's you have to be patient around this, but you have to keep talking about it. That's right. And I love the shopping example because there's so many things you can do in a store with kids. Unit pricing when they start getting into more math looking at brands versus things that aren't branded when things are on sale. I still use my coupons at CVS every chance I get because I love saving a dollar or ten dollars. The thing that I find frustrating and maybe you do too is that I hear often from some women, oh I'm just not, I've never been good at math or I don't like this, I don't understand this and I find that to be curious because data show that women are very good long-term investors they're very good at this if they just stick with it to stick around and learn about it so how can we maybe shift a little bit more emphasis on women it's really sad that the data still shows this because it's shown this for many years but it's true it's also true for people of color they fare fare worse than white males from wealthy families but girls are have a special place in my heart because I started out my career doing mathy type things for a financial services firm. So I got I got both financial services and technology in the same hit in my first job and that served me well. So we're very fortunate that we're merging with a regional program that started up in Boston called Invest in Girls. Oh, cool. And that program is focused on building financial capability for high school girls and importantly, introducing them to the possibility of careers in finance and financial services through taking them places so that they can see workplaces that look like places they might want to work and introducing them to role models, people like you 
you work in finance. You need the language and grammar of money to be successful in your career. So we want to show girls a variety of different careers where understanding money can be fun and lead to good and interesting careers for them. So what's the name of that organization? It's called Invest in Girls. So you guys are merging? We are. And will they come in under your umbrella? Are you going to rebrand with some brand, We're like, gonna, exciting new name? Their executive director, Betsy Kelder, is fantastic. The program is growing. It's healthy. And my best experience from the private sector doing merger says when you have a great organization, you just let it continue to be great. What we bring to the table is more access to more resources and a great distribution network through our national affiliates. We'll be talking more about financial literacy with Nan Morrison after this quick break. This is Jill on Money. Hi, I'm Jill Schlesinger, host of the Jill on Money podcast. I'm also a certified financial planner and a CBS News business analyst. I'm here to tell you that the Jill on Money podcast has a new sponsor, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus is part of a storied company that's been a leader in financial services for generations. Marcus offers simple, secure access to FDIC-insured savings products, including a high-yield online savings account that doesn't have any transaction fees or minimums. They also have certificates of deposit and no-penalty CDs. Marcus was recently recognized as one of Fast Company's most innovative companies in finance of 2019. To start building your savings today to help meet your financial goals tomorrow, go to Marcus.com. It's your money. You can do this. Marcus, on your side. Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the show. And now let's continue our interview with Nan Morrison. So how much of your job is raising money? It is a good chunk of my job. Probably 75 to 80% of my time is spent working with companies, foundations, individuals to help us grow some of our great programs like Invest in Girls, like Family Financial Literacy Nights, like our National Personal Finance Challenge, which is happening on May 10th. What's that? That is a fantastic competition across the country. Kids compete within their state, and then the winning teams from every state go to the finals, and they have a case study that they present to a team of esteemed judges. This year, we have about 17,000 kids participating across the country. Next year, we hope more. We've been generously funded now by Voya to really grow this competition. Finals this year will be in Lincoln, Nebraska. Really? Give me an example of the kind of people who are competing and what are they doing in that competition? So at the state level, the kids can range from late middle school to high school Mm -hmm. and they compete in written exams, quiz bowl rounds, uh, case studies. Here's a family with their budget. How do you help them to get to their goals? Oh, cool. So, So there's a real critical thinking element of this. And the other thing that I really like is that the kids work in teams. So it's a really great after school activity because it reinforces learning because kids who take after school activities get their learning reinforced, which is great. And also it's a good uh, exercise in learning how to work in teams which we all know is really important to be successful in the workplace. You know, we're going to have high school graduation is around the corner, right? How much should parents be talking to their kids about money in this next phase where they're hopefully going to be attending some sort of post high school education, community college, Bachelor of Arts, whatever. What do you want them to go to school knowing and what do the parents need to really be clear about with those kids? Sitting down and talking to your kids about a budget 
for whatever they're doing. They may be doing some work-study kinds of things. They may be at college. They may be working while they're at college. They may be getting an allowance that they have to cover books, going out with their friends. So just talking about budgeting, what the child's goals are for the next year financially and how they'd like to set aside that money. A lot of kids will, even if they're not working during the school year, they're going to start working the following summer. So starting even to think about that summer job and how they might allocate some of that money is also an important thing to do. By the way, as soon as kids are working, they can start putting money away into different kinds of IRAs. And it's also a good habit to start that long-term savings young. Why? It's a habit. It's mm-hmm. a habit. It's just like getting up and going for a run in the morning or brushing your teeth. You just get into the habit of putting a little bit aside from that very first paycheck into your long-term savings. Just like your father said, pay yourself first. Just like dad said. So when you look at the landscape of financial services, and I know we have to be politic here because some of these are your funders. I'll do the talking on this part. <laughs> It does drive me a little nutty that some of the most egregious hyper-selling organizations are the very same ones that underwrite quote-unquote financial literacy. So what advice can you give to parents and even their students, but just how to distill information they get without getting sucked into buying something? This just goes back to what we've been talking about all along. Knowledge is power. If you have the language and vocabulary of personal finance, you begin to feel more confident about asking questions. You know, once upon a time in New York City, you walked into a store to buy a chocolate croissant and you just bought a chocolate croissant. And you might be a little shy about saying, well, I wonder how many calories that is. Now we all know. So you don't have to be afraid of asking the question anymore. And you know that you just blew this morning's run by eating 300 calories of a chocolate croissant. 300? I don't know where you're getting your croissant, but well, I'll tell you what, I think if I got 300, I might eat more of those. So so I think just just being having the knowledge to ask questions is probably the most important thing. And if it seems super complicated, it probably is. Because when you get right down to it, a lot of this stuff that most people are investing in or doing isn't that complicated. And, you know, ask a friend, ask a family member who you trust. Um, If you think you're not getting the information that you need, don't be afraid to get up and walk away. Mm. And that can be really hard for a lot of people who might be intimidated by the place that they're in. What is it that you think is is kind of the big pushback that you will hear from, say, a school system about why they're not teaching personal finance in the in the public school systems? That is a great question. The answer that we usually get from them is there isn't enough time in the school day. And that's just not true because we can help schools integrate personal finance into the everyday life of the classroom. It's such a natural fit in any elementary school classroom. We have a set of materials called the mini economy. So kids rent their desks. They get paid for doing tasks. It's great. They really learn how money and commerce works. And in junior high and high school, it's really easy to integrate these subjects into math, social studies, current technical education classes. Uh, There are still some classes about civics and the kinds of things that you and I remember studying. Mm -hmm. They're called different names now, and you don't learn to sew anymore if you're a girl. But there are sort of life skills classes, workplace learning classes. 
that are are often offered, and we can just integrate that right in. So you help a school system, let's say, dovetail what they're currently doing and weave this into the process. In fact, on your website, there is, it says, you know, you've got different stuff here for parents, this, that, but you also have it for teachers. Yes, teachers are a big audience, and we can help them with lessons, with helping to integrate into the curriculum. In fact, we have a whole website just for teachers. It's called Econ Ed Link, and that has tons of free resources. Our standards are on there. Teachers can create their own quizzes. It's it's a real educator website, and we're very proud of it. We have almost a million visitors every year. So it's really widely used, and we keep investing to keep up with the needs of 21st century teachers. Someone said to me who is in education, if they're not testing for it, the teachers will not teach to it. Is that true? I don't want to get into that testing debate. I would say for us, a lot of the teachers that come to us are teaching in Title I schools. Those are the low and moderate income school districts. And they come because they know that this is an essential life skill for those kids. You know, we spend so much time trying to help kids to understand that there's a bigger world out there to get them educated, get them jobs. And then we forget to teach them what to do once they're earning money and they get into trouble. Shame on us. Yeah, that's so hard. So you've worked in now nonprofit land for how long? Uh, Nine years. Do you miss anything from the private sector? It's just different. Sometimes I miss the pace and sometimes I don't miss the pace. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) But uh, I think I've had a chance to, I know this sounds really trite, but to really move things ahead for our organization and uh, take us into new places. We have another competition called the National Economics Challenge. We now have a license agreement with China. So the Chinese students come to the U.S. and we have a joint competition. I guess what's important here is that I think that parents feel sort of helpless, like, oh, I have to do this too. And so what you're really saying is that between parents and teachers, CEE, Council for Economic Education, can help these folks along with preparing their kids better. And by the way, here's the side benefit. If you help your kids through this, you'll learn it even if you didn't learn it. Absolutely. So that's kind of a fabulous thing. When you look back and and all of the you know, the the years that you have been in the industry. What is it about the industry that you wish were different? Wave your magic wand and say, gosh, I wish financial services would be blank. What is the blank? I would say that more transparency is helpful. I took out a mortgage right after some regulations went in effect about simplifying mortgages. And I have to say that it was really helpful. And I obviously was super qualified to navigate through this. But as I read the papers, I thought, you know, I think somebody that wasn't as fortunate as I was in terms of having so much education and knowledge around these topics could actually work their way through these things. So I would say transparency, things that are written down so that people know exactly what they're getting and written in English. Yeah. And I don't mean the language of English, but just plain, plainly written. Not financial ease. Exactly. And, you know, if you can't walk into a bank and say, what is the interest rate? And they can't give you a straight answer, then you should walk out of that bank. God bless you, Nan Morrison. Okay. We started the program. I asked you your best financial decision. You said paying yourself first. Now it is your exposing time. Just us here. What was your worst? What was your worst financial decision? I forgot to diversify something. Oh. 
I uh, left an organization and my 401k was uh, largely in the stock of that organization for a variety of reasons. And when I left, it was a great opportunity to say, great stock, but I should diversify. Said it to yourself, like you even knew it. I knew it, and I never got around to it. Mm. And the company had a little wobble, and the stock price fell by almost half. And you're an individual investor. You cannot possibly get out of the stock that fast. So shame on me. And did you end up just selling at the bottom and saying, okay, you caught my attention? Or had it come back already by the time no, you realized no, it? No, I, I was fortunate that I called somebody that I trusted and he suggested I sell half and then just hang in there. And uh, he actually became my financial advisor oh, after that. So even you have a financial advisor, <laughs> someone who has all this expertise. Nan Morrison, she is the CEO and the president of the Council for Economic Education. In the show notes, we are going to put up links to councilforeconed.org. We want to just commend you for taking this on because it's a tough task. It's not as if the, the school systems are making it easy, although some are, I get it. So let's everyone wake up. Let's create more financially literate children. Thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks to Nan Morrison. The organization is called the Council for Economic Education. We'll have links to it in the show notes. We drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. If you would like to get on the air and ask us a question, all you have to do is send an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is the executive producer and the webmaster. You can always check out our website, jillonmoney.com. We are distributed by Cadence 13. The show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. See you next week. 